ESPN Plus subscribers, join an ESPN Plus Fantasy Football League now for a chance to win $250,000. The sweepstakes is U.S. only, 18 or older, no purchase necessary. Visit ESPN.com slash ESPN Plus football rules for full details and official rules. And speaking of fantasy football, make sure to follow Fantasy Focus Football for all the insight and analysis you need before your league drafts this season. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Today's interview has been fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where free agency is mostly in the books. We're all about to take a break from the NBA, but before we do, I wanted to zoom out and go over the big picture landscape with someone who talks on our airwaves every day about the NBA. It's his favorite league, I think. The one and only, the greatest showman in show business and TV for ESPN, Stephen A. Smith. How are you? What's up, man? How you doing, man? Glad to finally be here. I'm thrilled to make it happen. You are out in L.A., so let's start there. Um, You talked, I was listening to you on First Take a few days ago, talking about Russell Westbrook and the amount of pressure that's on Russell Westbrook. But tell me about, you know, how how do you think he fits with LeBron? What are you looking for him? How does he have to change his game or does he have to change his game? Well, listen, I think I think both have to modify it to some degree. LeBron can't be as ball dominant as as he has been uh, making all the decisions, because that's one of the reasons Russ didn't want to be in Houston anymore, as you well know, uh, because he didn't want to be, you know, sitting on the sidelines, playing the role of spectator, or being on the court, playing the role of spectator, watching James Harden. Well, that's not going to change with LeBron James. He's happy to be back home. He's happy to be in L.A. He's happy to be on a title contender, which he is on. We get all of that. Uh, but in the end, he's still Russell Westbrook. And, you know, credit to him. You know, like I told you, we've had to be we've all had to be critical of him at times. But we know that he's an electrifying talent, the most athletic point guard we've ever seen in NBA history. We know he's a walking triple double. And we also know he never cheats the game with his effort when he's out on the court. It's always 100 percent. And so when you look at the slow, almost snail like pace that the Lakers could 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 you know were, were prone to playing towards or playing at at times in the past and now you got somebody like Russell Westbrook all of a sudden LeBron having a night off AD having a night off isn't as daunting as it was the previous two years I think that helps them during the regular season and then I think once the postseason comes whatever it takes to win is what I think the character in Russell Westbrook and LeBron James will do I hope so, because I, I do think Russ has to change the way he plays. I think he needs to set some screens for LeBron. I need, I think he needs to be more active off the ball because, you know, they're not going to guard him. They're just gonna, when LeBron has the ball, if Russ is sitting at the three-point arc, you know Russ's defender is going to be sitting in the lane and say, okay, you know, pass him the ball, let him shoot. Let me interject with this, Zach, because obviously you know what the hell you're talking about. Let me throw something at you. What if LeBron was smart enough to put the ball in Westbrook's hands and say to Westbrook, I'm going to be the one chilling out at the three-point line so you could kick it out to me. I that, think we're – Because LeBron can make those open shots. He can make a few open threes, at least at a 34 35% clip. I think he could be a little better if it was open and he wasn't contested. And I think that if LeBron is smart, he'll give most of those opportunities to West, to Westbrook instead of trying to create those opportunities for Westbrook. And I think that could bode well for L.A. I think we're going to see some of that. And I think that's fine in the regular season. I think that's smart. 
But I think in the playoffs against the very best defenses, you're going to run into the simple issue of this. If you have LeBron James on your team, mm-hmm. the guy the guy is, I don't know, one of the three best decision makers, score, pass, everything with the ball in the history of the NBA. In this, you, yeah. You, re- you really want to give the ball to somebody else? I mean, that's the dilemma. That's the dilemma you're going to face. But I'm not saying give it to Russ to make the decision. I'm saying give it to Russ with the intent of getting it back to you. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm saying that, you know what? No, I don't want Russ just dribbling the ball outside and he's making a decision for everybody else. But if the plan is for me to get away from the interior and to step out to the three-point line, I'd rather have LeBron doing that than Westbrook doing that. And if I'm LeBron, I work with Russell Westbrook to create those opportunities for myself instead of me playing the point forward to create opportunities for everybody else all the time. I'm going to Russ looking to get a three-point shot for myself instead of shooting a contested one where I just do the quick step back and pull up. That's not necessarily something that's going to always work for LeBron. One of the first things I'm going to watch in the first Lakers game is do they run pick and roll together? Either way, LeBron with Russ screening, Russell with LeBron screening. That's got to be part of their offense. So I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this. I agree. Do, they, do they walk into the season as the favorites in the West? Is it a no-brainer for you that with Kawhi out for some time and Jamal Murray out for some time, Klay Thompson coming back, are, are they walking in as favorites? I think so. I think Utah disappointed us how they went out against the Clippers after having a 2-0 lead. I think that Dallas doesn't have a roster. I think that Portland has been a bit compromised to some degree. Um, I think Phoenix, even though they were just in the finals, we still look at them. And even though you can make a legitimate argument that they're the favorite, I don't think any of us believe they would have gotten out of the first round if AD and, 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 and LeBron were both 100%. And so based on that, along with Kawhi Leonard being down for the early part of the season, for most of the season, if not all of it, I think that it's it's totally conceivable for the Lakers to be the favorites. So here are two things I want to hit you with. Number, number one, I, I'm high on the Warriors. I think even if the Warriors don't make a trade, I don't think it's likely that they win the West, but I think if Clay is, by the end of the season, if he's Clay, and they get one young guy or Wiggins to pop a little bit more than we expect, I have so much respect for Curry, Draymond, and Thompson, and Clay that I think they would have a puncher's chance to win the West. No, I disagree with you. Disagree. I, give, I give them significantly more than a puncher's chance. Okay, then we're kind of – I was be, I was being a little conservative. I'm not being conservative. You know how high I am on Clay Thompson. I think Clay Thompson is one of the top five shooters in the history of basketball. No question. And I think that Steph Curry is the greatest shooter in the history of basketball. And I keep emphasizing this, and it it annoys me, actually, that basketball lovers don't add more credence to what I say about this one point. Free throws matter, and those brothers don't miss. You got LeBron, who shot 69% from the free throw line last year and has been struggling on that level over the last three years and and is a career 73% shooter. Russell Westbrook shot 65% from the free throw line last season. I suspect he'll be better, but nevertheless, it happened. I mean, if 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 Clay and 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 Steph were below 85%, it would be back page news. We, I mean, these guys ain't gonna miss free throws. Those kind of things matter. And so I love James Wiseman, um, Draymond Green. 
Uh, Andrew Wiggins can play, but I, I've always said when I when I I basically said I'd give him away for a box of cookies. I, I know I was being a bit hyperbolic at times, but depends what kind of depends what kind of cookies. It's got to be the right kind of cookie. That's my point. I wasn't saying he can't play. I was saying he doesn't show up to play enough. He just takes too many nights off. So to me, what if what if this happens, Zach? What if the Warriors said Andrew Wiggins and about three first round picks? for Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons with his defensive prowess, ball handling ability, basketball IQ was to be on a squad like the Warriors. And you still had those other guys. Good Lord have mercy. They can win it all. So I'm glad you brought that up because everyone's like, oh, the Warriors went young. They made all these draft picks. They didn't make a trade. Are they shortchanging Steph Curry's prime? And then Joe Lacob, the governor, comes out and says, no, we want to be the Spurs. We think these young guys are are the bridge to the next year. And everyone's like, oh, I guess they're not going to make a trade. Hell no. If star players become available, the Warriors, the, the team building process didn't end at the draft. They're going to sniff around those. They're going to sniff around those trades. And I want to hit, I want to hit you on Simmons because yes. I think the Warriors internally are divided on the potential fit of Simmons with Draymond Green. And I, you think, do you agree? I've been told they are. They are divided. And, and I and I think and I get why, right? Like Draymond doesn't really shoot anymore. Ben doesn't shoot. I mean, Ben doesn't even dunk in game seven where he's got an open dunk. But I wonder if we're all over fretting a little bit. Because if you put those two with Steph, Clay, and just like pick a shooter. So you're playing Draymond at the five and Simmons at the the level of playmaking and shooting is I think that's a potential. I don't think the Warriors will do it. I don't quite know how I feel about it, but I think it's – I'm a little more positive about it than most people I've talked to, I think. The Warriors view Ben Simmons to some degree a little bit like Draymond Green. And if you got Draymond Green staying there, their mentality is that you don't necessarily need a Ben Simmons. I'm looking at Ben Simmons, and I think that he's a – jump. And, and listen – I've said he's a jump shot away in the past from being LeBron James 2.0, but here's how I would put it to you. Keep just imagine this for a second. Ben Simmons jump shot, which is non-existent, doesn't change one bit. But his free throw ability shoot, uh, his free throw shooting ability. Improves. That's that's the key. That's the whole thing. Ben Simmons would average 24 a game without a jump shot. Because everything else is there. His open court ability, his passing ability, his ball handling ability, his athleticism, and he can finish at the basket. If he got to a point where you could rely on him to hit free throws close to 75 to 80 percent, that means he'd attack the basket more. He would average 23 to 25 a game. People don't realize that. That's how good he is. He just has that one extreme impediment that inhibits his ability to do the kind of things we know he's capable of doing. I think that fits interesting. All the focus with the Warriors has been Beal, Beal, Beal. And I get that talent is talent, right? If talent becomes available, you got to look at it. I think Steph, Beal, Clay coming off all these injuries, you're marrying yourself, same with Dame, to a three-guard lineup where you got to build the rest of your team a certain way. I, I don't love the Simmons fit. I kind of like it. I'm, I'm, I'm warming to it. But I don't know who it is that if they're ever going to trade for anybody, I just know they're going to keep looking around. But I, I, even if they don't make a trade this season, I think the upside of a really, really good team is there. And by the way, you said something about Steph on TV the other day. I don't know how, how recently it was. You were comparing Steph 
as a purely offensive player to Jordan. Said this about three days ago. You said this guy, and it you know, it reminded me of when Barkley said James Harden might be the greatest one-on-one player in NBA history, and they all laughed at him on Inside the NBA. I didn't think that was a laughable statement. And I don't think what you said, and you said purely offense, like all around defense, it's Michael's still the best. You said purely offense. This guy is in the conversation with Jordan. Can you expound on that a little bit? Because I think, I don't think that's crazy at all. I think Steph is that good. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter God ever created. That's how I feel. Because you have spot up shooters. You have guys who catch and shoot. You've never seen a guy that can move without the basketball, catch, also create his own shot off the dribble to shoot perimeter shots like Steph Curry. It's like an entire arsenal. He spot up, catch and shoot, dribble drive, penetration, pull up, long range, short range. It doesn't matter. This dude is just a marksman. And the reason why I say his impact is because You literally have to look for Steph Curry the second the ball gets past half court. He can pull up from 40 feet and shoot with regularity. He could actually do that. That kind of range combined with his movement without the basketball and the effect that it has on an opposing defense in an effort to try and defend him, they've got to keep their head on a swivel. They've got to extend. They've got to spy on him at all times. All of these different things, they they have to double him 25 feet away from the basket. You understand? With Jordan, yeah, you did all of that. But that was closer to the basket. The kind of things that Steph Curry requires has just as much of a profound impact on an opposing defense as Jordan did. That's why I said what I said. Um, I, I also heard you saying, you talk about the Nets and you and Max were debating, you know, how much pressure does Kevin Durant have on him to win with the Nets? And you were saying, wait a second, what about, what about James Harden? Like the guy who hasn't, who hasn't won yet. And then you said something I thought was, and you said, boy, do I want to see that Nets-Lakers finals? Boy, would that be, would that be fun to see? So let me ask you this. When you say something like that on ESPN, you know that the reaction of, of fans in Milwaukee and Phoenix and other places can be like, well, he's he's already he's rooting for this star-laden finals. Like that doesn't make me feel good about how ESPN respects my team or whatever. How, how what do you react when you hear that kind of um, that kind of line of thought? I don't give a damn. Okay. Evan, I never will. And the reason why is because I think that you gotta understand something about me, Zach, man. I grew up. You know, I grew up not just watching sports, the Howard Cosells of the world, the Bryant Gumbles of the world. I used to watch, I mean, I mean, I used to watch Jimmy the Greek and Irv Cross with Bert, Brent Musburger and them on CBS and stuff like that. You know, and 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 and, and I watching boxing with my dad from the time I was three years old and stuff like that. But I also watched Ted Koppel. I watched Peter Jennings. I watched, you know, guys like that. And 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 I rec- and I always recall. It's incredibly important that when people are looking at you on TV, they know that you mean what the hell you say. And the thing about it is, is that with what you do, with what I do and others, you know, I have a newspaper background. I've been a journalist for over 25 years. What bothers the living hell out of me about what a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us do for a living 
No, I'm not trying to create any enemies. I don't want people to hate me. I don't want people to dislike me, but I'm also not in this business to be liked. My job is to let, is to do everything that I can to get as close to the truth as possible and then give you what I got. As a journalist, I'm supposed to be objective. As a pundit and commentator, I can be subjective, but be honest about that subjectivity. That's like somebody getting mad at me for being a Knicks fan. Well, damn it, I grew up in Hollis, Queens. I grew up there with no Brooklyn Nets. I am a Knicks fan, okay? Even though I grew up 10 minutes away from Shea Stadium before they got City Field, I was a Yankee fan. My father did not allow us to watch the Mets in our household until I was 18. That hurts me. That hurts me to hear. It hurts me. For the Mets until I was, I never saw him until I was 18 years old. Like, it's like, why would I go on the air and all of a sudden engage in selective amnesia or deny that truth? It's my job to let you know. I never, listen, Milwaukee's a great sports town. Utah's a great sports town. Sacramento, when Sacramento was in the conference finals, I loved watching Chris Webber, Vlade Divac, Bibby, Mike Bibby, and Stoyakovich and the crew. I loved watching all of them. But if I had to choose between Sacramento and L.A. in the NBA finals, where the hell did you think I wanted to be in June? Well, and I, and I think you're speaking for a lot of fans who want to see the stars go against each other on the biggest stage. And that, and that's hard for some fans in other markets to swallow because they think, why isn't ESPN talking about Utah and Denver? And I, I sympathize with those fans, but there are a lot of fans who just want to see Brooklyn Lakers because of the stars. There's a difference. You are, you have a point as a fan. If we never talk about those people because they're in a small market, because that's BS. We should, we talked about Giannis. He deserved it. All right. It doesn't matter what market he's in. We talked about Donovan Mitchell. We're going to talk about a lot of teams in these smaller markets because they deserve it. The fan is right to expect that. What they have no right to expect is, oh, I'm not supposed to have a rooting interest. I'm not apologizing to anybody for wanting to root, for wanting the Knicks to win. It's not going to stop me from calling them sorry if they sorry. But if I want the Knicks to win, I'm not apologizing for it. And if I want to be in L.A. instead of Milwaukee, I ain't apologizing for that either. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's 
macy's.com slash gift finder today that's macy's.com slash gift finder are the nets the undisputed championship favorites next season if they're healthy without question yeah, i agree i don't think it's i don't i don't even think i don't have an argument for any other team they're so good they, they, they're, they're too good um i love their draft picks by the way as well and they're too good and I just think that to see Kevin Durant back being the absolute superstar that he is and knowing what James Harden is when he's healthy and knowing what Kyrie, the, the selflessness, you watch the Zach, they were very selfless with each other. They were sharing the basketball with each other. They didn't care who got off. It was no, there were no, e, there was no one ego tripping. I give them a lot of credit for that. And I think that Steve Nash having a year under his belt, along with the fact that D'Antoni is gone, and that will, you know, put him in a position to do even more with the Brooklyn Nets. I think I expect the Brooklyn Nets to be even better than they were this year. The championship, if they're healthy, it all comes down to health, obviously, but the championship is theirs to lose, I think. I think they're significant. I think they're better than the Lakers, and I think they're better than the Bucks. And after that, I, I don't. Those three, to me, start the season in their own kind of tier. And, and the Lakers, you know, we'll see. Someone in the West is going to rise up and challenge the Lakers, or the Lakers are going to have more hiccups than I think some people are expecting. I don't think this is just like a roll-it-out super team, no-brainer 60 wins for the Lakers. I think they're going to have some stuff to figure out. They'll figure it out, but that makes it more compelling, more interesting. But here's the bottom line with the Brooklyn Nets. In this day and age – where perimeter shooting and guard play matters and perimeter play matters. The Brooklyn Nets are a better perimeter shooting team than those teams that we mentioned in Milwaukee and LA, and they're a better free throw shooting team. What did you think of your uh, hometown New York Knicks offseason? Fournier, Burks, Noel, Derrick Rose, and and on and on. What's your, give me the temperature take. To me, I was happy in this regard. Kimba Walker, I'm praying that his knees are all right, his legs are okay, because I think when healthy, he's good for 20 a night, and he's a shot maker and a shot creator for himself, and I think that's what they needed from that position. Um, Fournier, I like the fact that they have somebody who can put the ball on the floor, create their own shot that's good for 17, 18 a night, as opposed to a guy like Bullock who was a standstill shooter and couldn't do anything once you got in his face. Um, the fact that you got De- you retained Derrick Rose and quickly was a good thing. I especially like the fact that they re-signed Julius Randle to the four-year, $117 million deal. Uh, Julius Randle is not a super max kind of player. He's not a guy. I don't like to be in guys' pockets like that, but he's not a guy that I wanted to see get $180, $190 million. Not that they were going to be able to do that this go-round because we know that. But I'm just saying I didn't want him counting like that against their cap. Um, As good as he was averaging 20 and 10 and being – my comeback player of the year and the league's comeback player of the year. Fourth on your MVP ballot. I checked. Fourth on your MVP ballot. That's right. He, the, my problem with him is that um, he's a one-armed bandit. When, you know, they're screaming, he's going left, he's going left, and that's exactly what he did. Him and R.J. Barrett. Um, I think they should have been kidnapped and, 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 and handcuffed. Their left hand should have been handcuffed. They shouldn't be allowed to use their left hand until the season begins. That's how big I am about that. So I like the fact that you got him at that number. Um, you upgraded the point guard in the off-guard position and that Mitchell Robinson is coming back who's good for two-plus blocks a game, and he's an interior presence defensively. So I look at the Knicks as a team that didn't go backwards. I still compete, expect them to compete for a top-five seed in the Eastern Conference, and I can live with that. 
Here's my question for you. You mentioned Barrett. You've been talking about Lillard as a potential Knicks target for a while now on the air. Let me be clear. Before Kemba and them came, before that, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, before that's right. Before Kemba came. And like you said, Kemba's knee, we got to see what he looks like. Let me be clear. Damian Lillard's not available. The Blazers don't want to trade Damian Lillard. Correct. Damian Lillard hasn't asked for a trade. Let me just right up front. So here's my question to you. If that comes to pass, because if you force me to bet right now, will Damian Lillard be available for trade sometime in the next 18 months? I would bet yes. I wouldn't feel like I wouldn't bet my life savings on it. But if you're asking me at gunpoint, I'm going to say yes. If that comes to pass, you've talked about the Knicks got to go all in to get Damian Lillard. So here's here's what it, that question boils down to to me. Is R.J. Barrett going out in that trade, or do you hold the line at R.J. Barrett? I don't hold the line at R.J. Barrett. I hold the line as long as I possibly can about a Julius Randle, about a Mitchell Robinson, but not an R.J. Barrett. Um, if you have to lose an R.J. Barrett in order to get a Damian Lillard, um, you do what the hell you have to do. Um, me personally, that's how I feel about it. Um, I think that, you know, I think right now because of the pieces that they have in place, um, even though I know that he would want to go to New York before anywhere else, I think if you're Philadelphia with Embiid, you do everything you can to try to get Damian Lillard. You absolutely do that because I don't think that he'd be able to summarily dismiss the Philadelphia 76ers if he wanted out of Portland. He's incredibly reluctant to leave Portland, doesn't want to leave doesn't like what was transpiring. Chauncey Billups actually wasn't necessarily his first choice, uh, but it's one of those situations where you look at it and you say to yourself, okay, okay, let's see how this goes. Um, and I think he's going to end up making that decision, electing to stay in Portland, not asking for a trade and seeing what they're going to do. But I could see that if things continue to look as they have, that he decides to go to a major market like New York because he believes he'd be able to recruit if he was in New York and he doesn't want to join a super team. He wants to create his own if he, if he has to go that route. And that's important because the, the, the follow-up question you hear from people is, well, okay, so if they trade the farm for Damian Lillard, you got Damian Lillard, Julius Randle, and some role players. Like what, what good is that? That's not going to be any better than Portland for him. But your view is you got to think longer term. You got to think longer lens than that. He thinks another guy will come. His view is that, he would be able to recruit from what I've been told. That's what I've heard that you've got guys that would want to come and play with him. If he were not in the Pacific Northwest and he were in a market like New York. Now you no one has really talked about this, but as a Knicks fan, you should be rooting for him to take his sweet, sweet time because I don't think anyone's really pointed this out, but Philadelphia who doesn't face that same question because they have Joel Embiid. So you're, you don't have to, uh, what are we doing? We have, you have a star already there. Philadelphia right now has like a four-month window where they have a huge advantage over the Knicks because the Knicks right now, I talked to Bobby Marks, I talked to people around the league, they can't functionally trade for Damian Lillard until December 15th when they can trade some of the big money guys they just signed, including Randall. He's not trade eligible after signing that extension. So Philly's got to be sitting there thinking, boy, we would love some disruption in Portland to happen soon. On the flip side, Philly's facing its own clock, and I don't know what you can say about this. The Ben Simmons situation is kind of a ticking clock, too. Like, I don't know what happens. I don't know what that looks like at, at training camp. So there's all these variables of timing floating around. It's really fascinating. It, what's fascinating to me is that I think the number one team who should be going after Ben Simmons is Portland. Because when you look at Portland, 
they're the team that's always saddled with perimeter shooters. It's Damian Lillard now, but what if there were no Damian Lillard? What if you had still had McCullum and you had uh, a Powell and others? When you look at Covington and all of these other guys, I mean, the point is, is that if you look at them, even though you've had guys like Nurkic in the lineup and what have you, for the most part, the Portland Trailblazers have been a perimeter-oriented team. What you haven't had is a stout defender who's also an elite playmaker for some of those shooters that you have. To me, if you're going to lose a Damian Lillard, you lose it to get somebody like a Ben Simmons, along with obviously other pieces. Lots of stuff. Yeah, lots of stuff. But you definitely make sure you can get your hands on a Ben Simmons because that could be a huge plus for you. Can I ask you a couple quick ones before we let you go? Oh, no problem. What's the what's the most fun you ever had in an NBA game? What's the best NBA game you've ever seen? Just as just as purely as someone who's there taking it in, even if you're working the game, like you're not a fan, you're working the game. What's what's the best game you've ever seen, or the most fun if that's a different game? I would tell you. Uh, you know, if you want to pick out a game, I would tell you game seven, Western Conference Finals, 2001, Sacramento uh, versus the Los Angeles Lakers. The one I brought up with C-Webb, Vlade, Bibby against Kobe, Shaq, Robert, Ori and those boys. That was something to behold, how back and forth that series had gone. Um, it was it was a special experience, no doubt about that. Uh, when we talk about series, me being a beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer covering the 76ers, watching Vince Carter score 51 game, Allen Iverson 50 another, and they were going back and forth, back and forth. I remember Philadelphia had lost a game, and I think Vince Carter had like 54 that game. And I walked up to Billy King, who was then the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers at the time. And Billy King wasn't mad at all. He was like, man, you have any idea what we're witnessing right now? He said, I've never seen anything like this. This is some special, special stuff. You know, he said to watch them go back and forth like this. He wasn't even mad they lost. You know, he was confident they were going to win the series, but it was something fascinating to just be a witness to. And you're talking about a guy that, you know, I was there when Jordan crossed over Byron Russell and pulled up the game six to win his last championship. I was there for that moment. I was there for a lot of moments, but seeing that, that Philadelphia run was something special. But that game seven between the Lakers and the Sacramento Kings still stood out in my mind as an in-person spectator. What's your under-the-radar league pass team for this coming season? What's a team that's not a star team, not a, maybe not a contender, but a team you just are like, I, I'm kind of excited to like flip over to them and watch them in the fourth quarter one night? Well, I'm not excited about anybody that's not a contender. Okay. I, you, I would tell you the teams that are lesser contenders than the rest, um, Atlanta really shocked me this year. I was very impressed with them and Trey Young. Uh, but the team that I'm watching out for, man, is Denver. Because I got news for you. If Jamal Murray hadn't hadn't gotten hurt, I don't know if, if we would have been looking at the Clippers. I don't know if we would have been looking at Utah. I, I don't know if we would have been looking at Phoenix. I, I just think with some of the pieces that Denver has, a guy like Murray, if he was ready, if he were healthy, that would have been something to behold. I don't think you know this, but I have said on this podcast many times, they trade for Aaron Gordon. They rip off a big winning streak, including an emphatic ass-kicking of the Clippers in L.A. with Aaron Gordon guarding Kawhi Leonard. Right. I was this close before Jamal Gary got injured to saying, I'm picking the Denver Nuggets to win the 2021 NBA championship. So I am with you 100%, and that injury – 
all injuries are, are crappy. That one, the timing of it, it was just – and the chemistry he and Jokic have, which is such a special playoff weapon, that was just a gut punch. Let me say this to you real quick. Here's the one reason I never picked Denver. Because as phenomenal as Jokic is, his one big problem is Anthony Davis. And I didn't know at the time that Anthony Davis would be so hobbled come the playoffs. Anytime you got Anthony Davis against Jokic, it's a problem. Because Anthony Davis can really defend. And offensively, he can match him numbers-wise. And defensively, obviously, he's a problem. Oh. So I, 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 that, that, that's the one guy that I don't think Jokic has any answer for. He's going to get his numbers, of course. But he can't jump onto a curb. And you're not going to be able to play the way that he plays, doing everything that he does with everybody else. You're not going to be able to do that so easily to Anthony Davis. I'll give you my two two teams, and, and you can riff on this, and I'll let you go. To, to answer my own question, I think a popular league pass answer is going to be the Hornets. I, I'm really interested to see how LaMelo looks in year two. Bridges, Washington, Ubre fits there. I'm excited for that team. And I'm really fascinated to see what this Bulls team looks like with DeRozan with Levine and Vucevic and Lonzo, you're you're you're, you're shrugging. You don't you don't love it. I, I don't love them, but I'm interested to see how they play. The Hornets are young and athletic, and I think with Bridges and Melo, they're definitely box office. Um, I don't think they have the personnel um, to do anything past. It's that. early. It's early. Um, as it pertains to Chicago, here's my thing. Levine is special. I'd give anything to see him in the Knicks uniform. I really would. He's special. Um, DeRozan, we know, is a veteran who can put up buckets. You like them together? I don't. I don't like them together. You know how we watch games and we watch players and we say individually, separate and apart from one another, they could stand on their own and be pretty special. But together with one another, how does that work? I don't know how Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan work together. I don't, I don't like it. I like it. I like it on offense. I think they're going to complement each other better than people think on offense. I just think building a defense with Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic is going to be tough. But I'm fascinated to see. And you throw Lonzo in there and how fast he plays and the hit aheads. I, I'm fascinated to see how they look offensively. I don't know how good they're going to be, but we'll see. All right, Stephen A., you're a busy man. You got to go. I always tell people, people ask me about you all the time, just my friends. What's Stephen A. like? And I said, and I say this to you, not to flatter you, but I've never said this to you. I say, if you guys just sit and watch him work, just sit. Because I've sat watching you work at the finals, watching you work on the jump. I don't think people realize what a talent it is to be on all the time. To be able to do the, the energy it requires to talk and be enthusiastic and charismatic. I couldn't do it. And, I, and, and to watch you work up close, which is I've been lucky enough to do the last five or six years as I've traveled more. I've learned a lot just watching you. So I appreciate you making a little time to come on the podcast because I know you're talking, you're talked out. If I were you by now, it's, 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 uh, you've done a TV all day long. You're talking, you keep talking and it's, and it's smart and it's funny. And I'm, I'm glad you came on. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. You guys do a great job. And, you know, for me personally, I just owe it to the business, man. And, you know, just, just growing up in this business as a journalist and whatever, you know, I've been very fortunate and blessed to be in the position that I'm in and it comes with putting in the work. And so, you know, when you do the work that you do and Woj and everybody else do the work that they do, um, it's a disservice to all of y'all. And it's a disservice to the industry. If you don't put in the work yourself, when you're sitting in the chair that I'm sitting in. So I just try to do my part 
to, you know, to help out and make sure that, you know, I bring attention to things that need to be brought attention to, not just to highlight myself, but for all of us in the business, man. Thank you, Stephen A. Have a good day. I'll see you. I'll see you next season somewhere. Yes, you will. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. All right, let's bring in fresh from Tokyo, Japan, helping Team USA to an Olympic gold medal. ESPN's, ABC's, Team USA's, the world's Jeff Van Gundy. How are you, sir? Doing fine. A little jet lag, but doing fine. You must be, I don't know what time your body thinks it is, but wherever you are, it doesn't think it's that time. So it's going to be a few days for you, I think. Yeah, it sure is. And uh, going over, it was the same thing. So um, the players that I rode over with, the three from the finals, how they played the next night, uh, in our first game against France uh, really crystallized to me what athletic marvels these guys are. Uh, yeah. I got jet lagged going to LA. I'm like, I, I got to go to bed early. I'm going to be waking up at four o'clock. I got to, I got to mentally prepare for that. These guys are playing in the Olympics. Uh, well, amazing. Why don't we start there? What's that flight? Like three dudes who just played. So who else, is it just the four of you? Who else is on that flight? We had an NBA photographer too, Brian, and but it was uh, Booker and I uh, met in Phoenix, and we flew from Phoenix to Seattle. And uh, the Milwaukee guys, uh, Drew and uh, Chris, met us in Seattle, and then we hopped on what was their initial plane and flew over. And I, I tell everyone that. When the person says you're going to go Mach 9, I don't know what that is, but I know that's fast. And so USA Basketball spared no expense to get those guys there um, in, you know, as first class a manner as they could. And I, uh, everyone should travel on that plane one time in their life. It was amazing. What, what kind of plane are we to? Like you're, it sounds like you're on a fighter jet or something. Like what, what are we talking about? <laughs> Well, when they, yeah, I, I don't know the, the, the name of the plane or what type it was. All I know is that thing was fast. And uh, it took us, I think, about eight hours, eight and a half hours from uh, Seattle to get to Japan, which to me was, I thought it was going to be a much longer flight, but it wasn't. It was great. 
So everyone was like, boy, how are these three guys? They just competed against each other for six games. Booker's going to be so angry. How are they going to share a flight together? In my head, I'm like, they just competed against each other, but now they're going to be teammates. And probably that competition fostered a whole lot of mutual respect between the three of them. Maybe they don't even want to talk about the finals. It's just over. Like, did they just sleep the whole time? Did they talk? Like, what's that environment like? Because I don't think there's ever been a flight like that in basketball history, probably. Right. I, initially, when we got on the plane, uh, the four of us met about uh, how we were playing over there, what we were trying to do, what Pop wanted me to try to get across to them. And it wasn't long. It was like 20, 30 minutes. And Chris had a great perspective because he had played on the World Cup team uh, in 2019. And so the level of sacrifice each guy had to make guys who have been primary scorers now who may be coming off the bench and getting, you know, minutes that, you know, there's no time to get into a rhythm. So I thought Chris did a great job explaining to Drew and Devin just, you know, the differences in the game, uh, how, how much sacrifice played a part in it and truly how hard it is to win. Um, and I, I thought, you know, and rightfully so, you know, Book was, he was, you know, he was edgy. You know, he was still hurt about losing. But it, those two guys, Drew and Chris, are so classy. And, uh, you know, that I think, you know, I don't think there was any, there was no anger towards them. It was just, you know, three nights before or two nights before they had lost the final game. And uh, it's hard because you never know if you're going to get back. In my in my basketball dreams, four hours into the flight after not talking, they begin to break down film of the finals and have a good time. I'm sure that did not happen and everyone just slept, right? That did not happen. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, book, uh, Book's going to be a Hall of Famer, but he's already a Hall of Fame sleeper. My my dude was like, he was, he was out and uh, he... You know, you can stop on a dime. He could sleep on a dime. I, I was, it was mesmerizing. Well, the first time I really had a one-on-one -on -one with Booker was during that season, probably two seasons ago, maybe three, when the Suns fired Earl Watson three games into the season and Eric Bledsoe had the get me out of here tweet that was mysterious. And I interviewed Book. I was like, what is your reaction to all this? And he was like, honestly, I was taking a nap. And my phone was going off and I like didn't even hear it. And I woke up and I checked my phone. I was like, oh, my gosh, so he, you're right. He must be a Hall of Fame sleeper. Yeah, first ballot. So you coached uh, all the qualifying tournaments or many of the qualifying tournaments, totally different cast of players, guys that you ended up falling in love with that are in the G League and, and other places. And then was, was it always on the, uh, on the table that you would go to Tokyo? Was that always knowing that you would be there with the Olympic team too? Yeah, in a scouting uh, capacity. So uh, I did the same thing for the World Cup in 2019. And it's really been a great basketball experience. Um, learning about players, you know, you see them, but you don't really know them. And then to see them, uh, how they work, um, you know, how, how they are with their teammates. And then, you know, uh, being around great coaches, everyone knows Pop and Steve Kerr, but Lloyd Pierce, Jay Wright, and then I call him the San Antonio Mafia, Ime Doka, the new Boston Celtics coach, Will Hardy, who is as bright a young coach as you could ever hope to run into, and the sh shooting guru, Chip England. So 
Yeah, I, I, I was really fortunate in that way. And then studying international basketball, because I think what people don't understand is pretty good NBA. There's, there's a, a subset of guys who are pretty good NBA players that are absolutely phenomenal FIBA players. And then the converse is true. There are really good NBA players that are just okay FIBA players. And then there's Luca, who's both, you know, so he created <laughs> everything. So, um, and Durant, you know, like ridiculous. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating experience and one that truly is an honor of a lifetime being able to represent your country. And I was uh, so thankful uh, that uh, Coach Pop uh, allowed me to do it. Is it true that coaches don't get medals? That's true. That's BS. Why is that? Well, I think it would probably be in every sport, you know. Hey, you're right. Now I'm thinking about track and field coaches would get yeah. medals. Everyone would get medals. You're right. Yeah. Why am I? Why I'm so basketball focused. I'm too in my bubble here. Yeah, no. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, though. Uh, uh, Pop and the coaches, uh, you know, Steve and, and Jay and, and Lloyd, they deserve them. They did yeoman's work. They did a truly uh, magnificent job. In, uh, you mentioned it. In unprecedented circumstances, Think about it. They lost uh, Bradley Beal, uh, Kevin Love. Zach Levine wasn't able to make the original flight over because of contract tracing, had to fly over by himself. We had to bring in um, – and I, I was so proud of Draymond Green that he mentioned the three guys that we brought with us to Japan um, in John Jenkins, Cam Reynolds, and Josh Majette to help us even have enough guys to practice. Um, uh, they deserve a major uh, shout out. And, and then the three guys from the finals get there, have a shoot around um, and play that night. Uh, it, it's the, it was just unprecedented uh, what the coaches had to get uh, and the, the issues to navigate to get us to that point of being able to compete for a gold medal. Right. So take me, take me back there. So you get to, to Tokyo with those three guys. Team USA has just lost to France. No, we hadn't played yet. We oh, I hadn't played it. Okay. We're going to play that That's night. That's right. And they lose to France. That's right. So, so okay. So, but Team USA has had a shaky exhibition season in Vegas. You get there, they lose to France. And then here is, you know, in the U.S. starts the very predictable cycle of, oh, AAU culture. Oh, pops a bad fit for Team USA. Oh, the sky is falling and blah, blah, blah. What's that locker room like? Because it, it is still shocking when Team USA loses in the Olympics. I don't care how good the other countries get. It's still this sort of gut punch. What's that night like or that locker room like in Tokyo? What do you do after that game? Was there a player who spoke or is it, was it just like, it's early, we're good? Well, I think that's where Pop shines brightest. Um, he can take a, a negative result and frame it in a manner such that um, – we just continue to strive to get better, knowing that if we win our next two after losing to France, we're going to be in uh, the knockout phase. And if you're in the knockout phase, um, it doesn't matter. You, 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 have a, you have an opportunity. And so I think the mantra of USA basketball has always been because of our lack of pep preparation time relative to the other teams, um, and not just in this tournament, basically in every tournament, that we have a chance to continue to get better and better and better where a lot of these teams are who they are. Think about this, Zach. They, 
there were four teams that qualified uh, for the Olympics. They had to win June tournaments, uh, you know, like Slovenia, Italy, right? They, they, so they were playing, they played a, a tournament late June. So they were together a couple weeks, you know, mid-June and on. They had been together a good three to four weeks more. Um, and so we, I thought we did do a good job in what um, Coach Pop stressed, which was be the most improved team in the tournament. I thought we did it, and, um, and we had to because, you know, we, we weren't playing great in the exhibition season. Now, we were playing a harder exhibition schedule than we had ever played before, too. Um, had a game against Australia canceled. You know, there was a lot of things that were going on, and uh, – Again, that's where he was. He was at his very, very best. He, he, just the way he navigated the whole thing, because you got to remember, all these players—they're coming from distinct programs where they do things in different ways, and they're most of them, uh, a vast majority of them, are primary scorers that aren't natural movers without the ball, and in FIBA international basketball, you're not isolating your way to win because of the defensive rules, the level of contact that's allowed. Um, and you don't get those. Um, I love FIBA officiating. They don't give you those uh, dive into guy. They, they're not giving you those, those fouls like the NBA is going to go to next year, which is a, thank God. It, they, yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just harder to score. And, and so you've got to, in a short period of time, you've got to try to change some habits, particularly offensively, um, uh, to make a group work, even with great offensive talent. I'm sure, I, I'm, as you're saying that, and it's obvious watching, but I, I'm sure it helps to have, you know, your big man rotation, your center rotation are two of the best passing big men in the world. You go from Bam starting to Draymond backing him up. I mean, those guys are going to generate they're going to get other guys to move. You know, KD got that backdoor cut dunk by Batum in the gold medal game and one because they know those guys are, are willing passers from all over the floor. Yes. They, they had their best combined game in our last game. Uh, I thought it was Draymond, uh, his, his finest game of the tournament. Um, his passing, uh, his physicality in the low post, his awareness to the rules, up seven, knocking uh, a free throw off the rim. Um, all of those things came together, and Bam continued to make the mid-range shot uh, on, the, on the short roll into that pocket against Gobert because you're not going to probably get all the way to the rim. Um, and like you said, terrific passer. Uh, I just think combined, they played without question their best game when their best game was needed. You mentioned, you know, it's just different to be around the players in this environment. And obviously you guys are constrained to what you can do. You can't go out to dinners. You can't do all that stuff you'd normally do around town and that. But you've, you've watched these guys from afar. You talk to people on teams. You commentate games. But up close, watching up close, who on Team USA kind of surprised you, e either as a player or just sort of a presence locker room person? Like, who did you come away with thinking, oh, that guy's a little different than I thought or a little better than I thought? Well, I'll, I'll mention Jeremy Grant to start. Now, he didn't play much for us, but here's a guy who has had great success in Denver. And then he went to Detroit, 
in a totally different role for big money and was a go-to scorer. And Pop uh, put him in against, I believe it was Spain, uh, in the quarters. One possession at the end of the half. And the guy killed himself on that possession and was excited to be out there. And I don't know if that's different or not, but I was thoroughly impressed with his just ability to like not worry about anything but helping the team. Um, his basketball uh, character to me is impeccable. And so too was Keldon Johnson. I, Keldon Johnson, um, he's naturally a good FIBA player because he's a cutter, a runner, a roller, uh, but his personality allowed himself to be uh, able to impact the team um, without playing and JaVel McGee the same way. I, I thought those three guys did more for um, our team than people realize. And then, you know, to me, everybody knows about Durant's um, greatness. I mean, it's so easy to see on a nightly basis. To watch him work after practice uh, was truly an honor. Um, uh, the work capacity uh, the efficiency of his, his work, um, his diligence. I think players and coaches learned a lot. It's not an accident why he's as great as he is. Um, the other thing that stood out to me too, and I could mention something about everybody, but Lillard, um, everything I long admired him from afar, had never really spoken to him. Uh, in my life, but he is as good of a basketball guy as you could ever hope to run across um, in your time. I, I was uh, so very impressed with, you know, his basketball character, you know, his skill, um, all of those things. And his relationship with Terry was you know, so true. You always heard how strongly they felt, but Terry even, Stotts, Terry yeah, Stotts. Yeah. yeah he, he, this was no, like, I mean, he gave everything to the trailblazers. He loves Terry. Uh, um, yeah. I, I didn't realize Terry had been his only NBA coach and learning about his background, about how he was under recruited, you know um, I, I thought it probably was because he hadn't gotten, much exposure, uh, but he stayed with his, you know, he got asked to play on bigger AAU teams and he chose to stay with his own. Um, and for whatever reason, got a little bit overlooked. And I mean, it's just, I, I was, I couldn't be more impressed with a, a person than I was with uh, Damian Lillard. When you say as a basketball guy, his basketball character, what, what, I mean, what kind of stuff are you talking about? Were there conversations you guys had just about his life or? Yeah, but for instance, um, he was presented with excuses for on you know in after the France game about maybe you know he felt has you know people were saying oh he, you know he felt hesitant to shoot or whatever it was on on a crucial possession late. I don't know if you remember it, yep, but it I ended do. Turnover the first France game and he just stood up and said, no, I have to shoot the ball. That's my fault. I, people, when given opportunities to grab onto excuses, 
most often do. I'll tell you that I, I, I was just, the way he handled that situation was impressive beyond, um, you know, I, anything I had expected. I knew he was, a, from everybody said, he was a, uh, obviously a great player, um, but his basketball character, you know, sometimes what you read isn't true. Um, everything that's been said about him in a positive manner is true. I, I just, he was impressive. Why do you think he had a shaky tournament? I mean, he made a couple of big buckets against France in the gold medal game late, which I was heartened to see because he just didn't kind of look like himself for a lot of the tournament. Some people thought, is he just not a FIBA player, whatever that means? Obviously, your switching scheme is not the way he normally plays with Portland. Um, what, what did you make of it? Or do, do you think he had a better tournament than I'm giving him credit for? Yeah, I think he had a better tournament than, you know, the, the shooting component, thank, thankfully, came together in the – he was great in the second half uh, of the gold medal game, and we needed it because Durant had expended so much energy in the first half keeping us in it. He had 21 of his 29 points in the first half, and Lillard came up with big buckets – and he had a he had one penetration, um, in it was away from our bench in the second half, where he got deep, drew Gobert, and found Tatum for a three. Yep, I but the one that. thing that you know, like he would have wanted to have back was he missed three free throws in that game. Like Damian Lillard, three missed three out of four free throws. So there's a lot different. And I think players will tell you the ball is different. The feel of the ball is is vastly different. Um, and I think he had – I think he was battling. Now, he never said it to me, but, like, you know, watching him get worked on every day just to get out there and play, I think he was battling uh, something. Um, but, again, this is one of the things that I admire about him. Uh, there was no thought of A, sitting out, or B – uh, even mentioning it as a reason uh, for missing shots or, and I just, again, impeccable character. Um, what'd you guys do to celebrate? The video of pop doing defensive slides in the hotel has now gone around. I don't know if you were somewhere off camera doing similar defensive drills oh. as, ce <laughs> as celebration. What you guys, it's not like you can go to the hottest sushi place in Tokyo or something. So what, what did you guys do after winning? I mean, it, what, what was the celebration? Well, we stayed in the, in, in the hotel and our, our meeting room was right next to the, the women's national team meeting room. So they were playing the gold medal the next, the next day. It was very cool when um, uh, we got back uh, after you know, it, it took a long time to get back because they celebrated, uh, the players did um, in the locker room. And then, they, you know, drug testing takes forever. And, and, and the arena was probably 45 minutes to an hour from, you know, the hotel. So, but when we came back, the women who were getting ready for their game, you know, the following day were in their big, huge ballroom watching the Olympics on the screen. They came out and um, it was really nice uh, how they greeted the, the players. And it, that was as fun as anything, getting to, you know, you know, uh, Cheryl Reed, the coach of the Minnesota Lynx, giving me a 15-minute, uh, like, like, lecture on uh, efficiency needing to be better in 
um, or more, more studied. And, you know, uh, Tina Charles on their team, and I, I've always had great admiration. Um, met Kara Lawson over there again, who was coaching the three-on-three women. And She's such a stud. Kara is such a stud. But, I'm so happy uh, for and her. And their, their whole team, they're, they're, those people, uh, Stephanie Dolson and uh, Kelsey Plum and uh, Gray. And I mean, think about the, what they went through. They had uh, Katie Lou Samuelson got um, knocked out uh, of the tournament. One of their four players flew in the day of their first game. And, you know, but so you get to meet all them. And um, that was really cool how the women supported the men, the men supported the women. And, um, and so we just, you know, ate and we, there wasn't that night we didn't go to it, but they had a couple great restaurants, um, in the hotel that we went to and, uh, chef Sean, uh, was like, uh, cooking up some magic. Somehow he found, um, exactly what, uh, coach pop wanted. He wanted pasta with, I think it was truffles or something. And all right. Okay. Hey, coach Sean just came. I mean, not, not coach Sean. Chef Sean, he might have been the MVP, you know, because 20 straight days. Um, yeah. And he was cooking it up for everybody. Well, I know Pop's got some wine requests, too. I don't know how they handled the wine requests, but, you know, I, I know Pop, Pop's not easy with the wine. Yeah, I don't know all that. There, there's some experts. The players are, are oh really my God. They're that now, too, which incredible. I, I didn't really realize. Um, um, uh, someone told me that Draymond Green had a really uh, – one of the best wines in the world uh, and there. I, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but I, I, they, I didn't know they were such connoisseurs. Now I knew uh, coach pop was, but I didn't know, uh, you know, the players were. You mentioned Duran earlier. And I, I want to circle back to that because, you know, I do feel like through no fault of his own, the golden state detour sort of clouded the, clouded the discussion of Durant because the team was just so good. The stakes, the pressure, it just didn't feel like it was there. It felt like it was too easy for them those first two years. And then he gets hurt. And I remember the night he got hurt. I wrote the next day, like, do, do people realize this guy was on pace to maybe be the leading scorer in the history of the NBA or number two, you know, because it's, it's hard to get all the way up to Kareem. And like, he's, you know, you can go through the points, rebounds, blocks, steals, assists. There's like not a lot of guys who have already by that time piled up his numbers and he was only in his 10th year or whatever. And, and, and I just, everyone appreciated his greatness. Everybody knew this is an all time great player, but I think it got a little blurred in gold state. Then he gets hurt. Then he goes to Brooklyn and he does what he does this year coming off the Achilles culminating in just an all-time series against Milwaukee where he plays every second of those games and has the game five, an all-time epic 49-point game. Then he does what he does in the, in the Olympics where it's just like there's all these other dudes and then there's Kevin Durant. Did, did the last year change the way you felt about Kevin Durant? Did it confirm the way you felt about Kevin Durant? Did witnessing that up close in the Olympics change the way you felt about him at all? Or has it always been like, Oh no, this guy's going to be like the eighth greatest player, fourth greatest player of all, whatever it is of all time. Yeah. When I was coaching the Rockets, my, I think our second year, we had training camp at University of Texas. And that was Durant's only year at Texas. I had never heard of Kevin Durant. 
we go into practice. Um, the first practice we ever had uh, at at Texas training camp, and we get there. The coaches got there, you know, before the players, maybe an hour before practice was starting. So we're hyped about our first practice, and um, on the floor is this young person who is incredibly tall and I'm, I'm like watching him work out as a college player. And I remember asking Rick Barnes, who is that? And he said, Kevin Durant. So I watched him work for like 45 minutes till our players got there. Then he watched practice. Then after we were done, he came back on worked again. And then we left, we come back to the night practice. He's there. He watches practice. Then he comes back on after we're done. And he does that the whole week we're there. And I'm like, you can't fake that work ethic. So all this while later, right? My, my thoughts on him have never changed. Not him losing a championship in Oklahoma City, not him winning championships in uh, Golden State, and not him going to Brooklyn. The, to me, he has competed and played as a champion um, ever since I've seen him. And some seasons his teams have had more success than others, but the what he has put into it seemingly has never changed. And I think in Brooklyn – and this, and this goes to the Olympic experience, too. I loved how humble he was in giving credit to Milwaukee and them winning it and then going on and winning the championship, beating them in a series, then winning the championship. The same thing over in uh, Japan. When we won, uh, he was humble and, and passing out credit to others um, even though he was obviously the dominant player for us. Um, when we were at the gold medal ceremony, uh, other people, you, you, you sort of forget other teams can like, you know, a lot of these guys have watched this, this guy at the highest level. They want their picture. I mean, he was so accommodating to every single person that wanted a picture. Um, he was Patty Mills, the medal ceremony this time, uh, Zach was different. We played the gold medal game, went back, and then had to go back to the arena later for the medal ceremony because it was after the bronze medal game, which, for whatever reason, was after ours like eight hours later. Well, Patty Mills had to get Australia their first medal um, ever. He had 42 points and nine assists, a brilliant performance. Kevin Durant was one of the first guys to go up and congratulate him. I, I, I was incredibly impressed. At, like the work ethic has always been there. He plays the game uh, at such an incredibly high level. But the thing that stood out to me was the humility to share the success with others. That's a perfect transition. I want to hit you on some NBA thoughts before I let you go. Let's start with Patty Mills, who was sort of before the Durant extension was kind of the coup de grace for the Nets offseason. They lost Jeff Green, but they brought back Blake and Bruce Brown, I think James Johnson will help them. And then here comes Patty Mills. How do you think he fits there? And do the Nets enter next season as, as championship favorites in your eyes? 
Well, they have the best level of talent if they're healthy. You know, those three guys are, I mean, they're just incredible, all of them. Um, I thought it was an interesting choice for uh, Patty Mills in that I don't see him as a spot-up player. I see him as a movement-oriented player, which in San Antonio was highlighted um, with their great teams and even with their not-so-great teams. I thought the, the fit was perfect. I'm going to be I'm going to be watching with great interest, you know, because they isolate so much and they have spot up guys. And they're not allowed, you know, they don't really move as much as many teams. So I think it's very interesting. Is he going to, um, you know, run around as he's spotted up in the corner, just in a small uh, circle to keep moving and active? And then how do they incorporate him defensively where they're, uh, as switch heavy as any team in the league. And that too doesn't necessarily, I wouldn't think, fit him. So I think it's a, I think he's one of my favorite players and has been for some time. Um, and he's coming off, you know, his, to me, his greatest basketball achievement um, to see the utter joy in all of the Australians' faces to medal and particularly him because you know, he was without question uh, the tone setter for so long. Um, but I do think it's a, it's a, it's a fit that I'm going to be watching for to see, you know, how, how he can feel he can play his game as they play theirs on offense. And then defensively, do they do something special to keep him out of mismatches uh, in their switch heavy defense? Yeah, you're right. He, he moves around on offense, some guys move. Patty is like at full speed all the time. Like he plays like he's got a battery pack up as you know what. He's just he's just always flying around the floor. Yeah, it, it's and it, and it makes him unique. Um, he is like so hard to guard. You know, FIBA like he's because the system is built on to for on his team for his strengths. It reminds me. And then you've got the Japan women. I don't know if you checked them out. I did a little bit. Five Patty Mills, um, like sprinting around the court. Like they're amazing. Like anyway, I, but I think it is like, you know, he's got great uh, conditioning, uh, great speed. And how will that be confined or will he be better at, at spotting up? Uh, then maybe I think he might be, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be, it's fascinating to watch. And the thing is they're betting on his character as much as they're betting on his talent. I mean, this guy, I mean, his, his basketball character is just off the charts. Uh, yeah. I was, I was texting with someone on the women's team USA and they, they, they asked me, have you watched Japan? And I said, just a little bit here and there. I know they have this point guard who's been leading the tournament and assists. And this person said they play like the Rockets and the Warriors had a baby or something like that. They just play this crazy style that they were like a little wary of, like, are we going to be able to do, what are we doing against this team? I mean, the size differential was great. And, and I don't know if you watched much of the women, but I had not seen Asia Wilson play. Well, she's so good. So good. Like ridiculously good. Um, And they, and they just, you know, battered them with high lows and all that. But, and Sue Bird at 40 still can make every pass. 
And I would be a season ticket holder wherever Tarasi played. Like that's just, I just, I just love watching uh, them play. But the interesting part for me, Zach, is I get over to, and I'm watching, and I'm like, who's their coach? So it's an American named Tom Hovass. He played at Penn State. I was an assistant at Rutgers. We played Penn State where he was the best player in the Atlantic 10 tournament final to go to the NCAA tournament in 1988. I had not seen nor heard of Tom Hovass since then, although he had a short stint in Atlanta that I didn't remember with the Hawks. This guy, like, is a phenomenal coach, like phenomenal. I'm like, I can't believe it. It's been like 35 years since I've seen this guy. And what he's done, like, they move, they cut, and they jack threes. And then they have these these undersized women who are finishing under, over, and around size. I mean, for them to get to the Olympic final, it was it was absolutely thrilling. And to watch them play, like if I was gonna, if I was a, a men's or women's coach of all the teams that played there, I might study the Japanese women team because to me, they overcame things um, that just aren't overcomable. The size difference. Uh, I mean, it was incredible. Like Brittany Griner against the Japanese point guard. I'm sorry, I forget her last name um, because she was not forgettable. She was phenomenal. But I mean, it was like, I don't know, maybe she was 5'2", five, 5'1". Five, I mean, they were standing next to each other. I'm like, how are they competing right now? And they were. Last one, I'll let you go. The, the earthquake in the NBA while you were abroad was obviously Russell Westbrook being traded to the Lakers. Um, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on how he fits there, how he and LeBron figure out how to play together. What's your initial read on that fit? And then, of course, the Lakers then do very well, I think, on the minimum to get a bunch of shooters to come in, to get Dwight Howard to come in, uh, Kendrick Nunn to come in. What's your take on that fit and how the Lakers look in the West? You know, anytime you're putting together, like, great players, it all starts with what are they willing to do to make it work? and the level of sacrifice that they're willing to give uh, so that they're as successful as they would want to be. Um, if the level of sacrifice is high, the results will be good. It may not always look good. There will be some struggles, I'm sure, on nights. Um, just like I was talking about with uh, the Olympic team, where they're used to having the ball in their hands more and it feels funny or maybe um, – Frank uh, asked Westbrook to play in different spots on the floor than he's accustomed to. Um, but Anthony Davis, to me, has always been a sacrificer. Like, you know, he, he went to L.A. knowing he was going to take a backseat, but still playing this huge role. Um, James is a natural giver. Um, Westbrook is – you know, a one man fast break, which may give them, you know, some opportunities that maybe they didn't have. So maybe they can car all carve out their own niche. Uh, I think defensively is going to be um, the thing for Westbrook. And also in the half court, how do they space and give their best players enough room to work with? Um, but again, if they start from a place 
that they want to make it work and they're not resentful of having to sacrifice, then they'll figure it out. That doesn't mean they're going to win a championship, but that means that they're going to be able to play well, have enough harmony and chemistry to give themselves a chance to win it. And I think Frank Vogel is the perfect coach to make it all work. He's as egoless of a coach as you would find. Um, He is terrific at getting guys uh, to do things that they may not necessarily want to do, but must do for the team to win while taking no credit for it. So uh, I think, you know, if their level of sacrifice is high, they'll be very successful. Coach Jeff Van Gundy, congratulations on the Olympics and a long run with Team USA. I hope you get some sleep, get reacclimated, get some time off before we start doing this again. And we'll talk to you in the preseason. Thank you again, Coach. All right, take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.